If you would, let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We were there last week, and there's some wonderful insights yet to continue looking at. Gospel of Luke. We're going to ultimately still be touring chapter one in brevity. And we'll then be moving to chapter two to pick up a beautiful story, a history of God's revelation to a world that had been warned, given clear back in Isaiah, a distinct opportunity to be ready. 700 years it took, but God's word was satisfied. And we said that on Thursday in a devotional, if his word was true then concerning whom we worship presently, then the Lord's word to the church and to the world as we know it will no less come to pass. Time is short. Everything on the world stage says that it's being set to take his church out and to bring about ultimately the satisfaction of a righteous and holy God to take his rightful position on earth with his church, with the remnant of believers remaining. These are exciting times with regard to what's happening both in Israel, but also even where we find ourselves, I suppose, subject at times to dejection and depression. The Lord would say, think differently about it. I don't call you up because things are going great. I call you up to save you from things that are going very bad, wrong. And that's how God delivers. He doesn't deliver us from goodness. He delivers us from evil, from tyranny, from sin, into perfection. And that's something that we want to be mindful of. There was a song that came out in the 60s. I'll do the best that I can with it, something to this effect. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, right? Then peace will guide the planets. I think it says something like that. And love will steer the stars. This is the age of Aquarius, Aquarius, Aquarius. But actually it was the age of delirious. It never came to pass. And by the way, Venus and Mars are considered hugging, huggy bunnies right now. That is the explanation of what culture is saying is the Bethlehem light. Have you seen it? Has it showed itself yet? You are aware that there's supposed to be a manifestation of a brilliant light. And they're calling it the Bethlehem light. They're saying that it appeared about 600 years before can't remember that one. But even if that is true, those are planets. Planets only reflect. Stars are actually emanating brilliance in light because they are balls of fire that God has put in place. It is where in the terms of light years we discover both the speed of light and ultimately how long it takes to get from its 
origin to ultimately its object. And we've discovered through science and math that what we see of a star is light, though it appears to us in the moment, twinkle, twinkle, little star, it is actually a catch-up to our eyes of what was sent out, dispatched hundreds, thousands of years ago. What it shows you is the eternity of God. He's not constrained by what our eyes can see nor what they cannot see. And so in this account, there has been the satisfaction and fulfillment of God's word in Isaiah as we looked at it last week of a virgin that would give birth to a son, and this son would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Mary was visited as of last week by a messenger from the throne of God himself, Gabriel. Gabriel stands in the presence of God and dispatches messages from the Lord. The scriptures reveal only several that were privileged to hear from the lips of Gabriel. But there's no other angel cited in scriptures, nor in even the minds and imaginations of men that we can take greater, if you would, awe of what he would do to reassure someone that was a part of a great divine plan in which Jesus would be God manifested in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And his purpose was to come from heaven, robed in humanity, imparting to us in in the gift of faith and belief, divinity. He would cleanse us of our sins. The word declares, and it's a great passage even to understand this concept of light, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Both terms reflect radiance of both specific account and broad and distance. And that's what God wants you to know is we do not have to be in the dark concerning anything regarding our life, regarding his plans, for if indeed it happened here, it will happen now. Exactly and precisely to the promises that both you believe in and ultimately our sure hope in whom we will be united with. You know, we're in a time right now where even as we're in church, there are people being prepared in spirit to go and be with the Lord. And I've been communicating, as some of you have as well, with uh, Micah Young and the siblings that he has. And you may say, well, what's this with the story? It's the story of the fact that we in humanity will groan as we await ultimately an adornment, a reworking of who we are presently to what God sees in us perfectly. And there's groaning to go through. There's hardships that we must endure. There is for the church a persecution that has been allowed. Probably not in our time, in this place, as the world has known it, but it is coming. And the reason that I share Micah just briefly with you is that his mom has decided with renal failure, that's kidneys going out, that she wants to just not 
preserve artificially her time on earth. She's ready to go and be with the Lord. And so in the wait is a process. And as I talked with Mike, I said, you know, this is interestingly enough, very similar from God's perspective as the delivering of a baby is to a woman. There's agony and there's the wait and there's the tension and there's the timing and there's all kinds of things that in that moment create great distress in the body. But when the breakthrough happens, when through that portal of the womb, the child pushes out with the strength of that mother for that glorious event, all that was before it, the scriptures say, not even remembered, for what is packaged on that body is life and light, a baby. And so I wanted simply to say that maybe in your time, your life right now, you realize that tension you have, the things that have said change happened, wasn't expecting it, harder than I thought. But God would say that's as hard as it ever will be because I've made it now an easy course to keep your focus on me and to stand as firm in your faith as this young woman did when I delivered a message of hope. And so here we are. When Mary had received this message from Gabriel, she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, this is actually a meeting that she had with Elizabeth. But she's having to receive this transaction in her ear. This is where we left off. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is Elizabeth extolling this visitation of Mary, who's traveled some perhaps 170 to 100 miles to visit her in the time that she had received the word from Gabriel that she would be overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and would conceive life. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting, notice this, just for a reminder, sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb, that was John the Baptist at six months old, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth testifying that Mary would be blessed in what she received in faith and in honoring the Lord even presently in this visit. The visitation of Mary was actually what Elizabeth needed at the time, three months remaining for her deliverance. Remember what I posted last week is that Elizabeth had been barren. She was beyond the age of ever conceiving. This would have been in those days perhaps even a greater acknowledgement of a work of God. For Elizabeth in that kind of situation would have endured the ridicule and perhaps even the chastening or the separation of those in her social circle because they would have assumed her to be cursed by God as opposed to blessed. And at the time which was important as scriptures would bring these two women together, a miracle had taken place. 
this would have been highly encouraging for Mary because Mary obviously would be under the same tensions, which would be what? I've never known a man. But what I do know is that God spoke to me concerning the Son of Man, the Son of God. And I will not be in confusion over this. I've accepted it. And so now in chapter 2, let's pick up the story with where we're at. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census, it says, took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. They're giving us historical account. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now this for Mary would have certainly represented a second very taxing trip. The distance between Bethlehem and Nazareth and the distance in which she had traveled before from Nazareth to this place, the hill country where Elizabeth was at. This is a woman who we know spent at least three months into her pregnancy in the closing months of Elizabeth's deliverance. Talk about a resource of strength and of hope between two women, but in particular Mary. If you've been on any travel at all that has required you to use your feet or some means of assistance such as an animal, you'll realize how tough that is. Even if you were to sit on something perhaps as archaic as a cart back in those days, I can't imagine a hundred miles. I can't even imagine a hundred miles on a motorcycle, which I'm very familiar with in riding on. It's not, after a while to me, it's like being on a fence post. And all you're looking for is the closest gas station. And it's not even for gas, it's just to stretch. And ask yourself, why did I even get this? <laughs> so this visit now is with Joseph. It is in accordance with scripture. And the reason that that's important is that that was pronounced some 400 years prior to this event occurring. And so what I'm going to do, you can take a reference if you'd like, but it's familiar. Listen to this in Micah chapter 5, where now Mary has with Joseph moved from Nazareth some 70 miles of travel again, and it's because it's her time to deliver what Isaiah 700 years ago in her day had prophesied. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me 
the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until that time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Verse 4, describing the ministry of Jesus as a shepherd of the soul. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. And now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace. Returning back to this account of where Mary in her faith with Joseph is at, to the hometown that they return to, which is Bethlehem, we find for them a trial, a challenge, and a disappointment. For a woman with child would certainly believe that there would be a place for her to go in the timing of this census. And certainly one who's going to be a mother, but not only that, the means by which God himself would make his appearance on the world stage in Israel, according to that word we just heard, according to the word that was given in Isaiah. Everything that was true about that word is now transpiring in her life. And it says that in this registration, Joseph also went up in verse 4 from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in a swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Here's where we find out that the delivery took place before there was even what we would call today a motel room for her. There was nothing available except what we have in common terminology voiced as a stable. The stable is very likely, as you've heard of in teachings, probably was nothing more than a carving out, something similar to a cave-type structure in the hillsides of that region. Structures that were built of wood and thatch were rare. And certainly in these times, what was tended to be used was earthen bricks, not wood. And therefore, what was common, and you can go there today, is rocks. They abound. If you've been to Israel, it looks like a rock quarry that just got blown up somewhere and scattered over the hillsides. If you had to have an assignment in which you were being disciplined by the Lord, it would be to pick up all the rocks in Israel and bring them someplace, any place. There are that many. In Mexico, where we were on the Baja, we lived in a region that had very similar geotopical um, rock formations. And you go, where do these come from? If you've ever been a gardener 
and you're just trying to get the good soil and you've basically discovered that as you're digging river rock was there it just keeps perking up you finish one season with it wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow and it's there so this is the mindset that you need to have is that this very likely was a crag or even if you would a cleft in the rock i like that picture and where this baby jesus would be born and the moment in which Mary would give birth and would swaddle him in cloths, much like if you would, a body would be prepared for burial back then. A baby born ultimately to die for the sins of the world, that the world might be saved through his sacrifice. It's a great picture. And this has happened. And you can imagine that if it were not tempered with the discipline of two people who love the Lord, Joseph to submit rather than to give Mary up for what appeared to be cause, listens to the voice of the messenger of God, Gabriel, as did Mary, and said very well, Mary will be my wife and I will serve the Lord in serving her and we will serve him together in raising the Son of God. But that would have been by no means an easy yes for they would have withstood all of the conjecture, all of the slander that would come in declaring that they are parenting the only beloved son of God himself by the spirit of God that overwhelmed a young woman, a virgin. What would those people in those days have had to have done to have been convinced beyond their doubt and their skepticism and their cruelty in charging perhaps Mary and Joseph for lasciviousness, what would they have had to have done? Simply return to the word of God, the scrolls that had been prepared. That's all anyone would have had to do, do and simply to say that that would have been impossible to know. There were those who were in authority that should have known. The visitation of God was predicted, it was predicated upon a promise, and the promise was fulfilled on this moment. And now it appears that as we look deeper into this story, or I might say laterally, who was on site? What was going on? A city that right now is packed out to the hilt, no room for this couple, but what, be a, what would be a stable, something that you and I would say, despicable. Who could imagine bringing forth a baby in a barnyard? let alone lying that baby on a trough, licked by cattle, nibbled on by the goats and sheep, sharing that stable. Who would think of such a thing? But in verse 9, away from all of the congestion and all the noise, 
there was a party that would be as sensitive to the voice of God as was Mary. The parallel is extraordinary, for you have a woman with no fault, and you have now men in a field far away that by their cultural standards would have been known as rebel rousers, no-gooders, stenchy little flockers. They wouldn't have had any reputation to have been admired for anything. They were just satisfying an industry, guarding sheep, bringing sheep into the city. They were doing it to the best, obviously, of their ability, but their reputation had been shot. Probably because many of them had become less than what their vocation would have required of them. But these in particular, by a reputation that I don't believe they earned, but they had to live with, are now set apart. And here's what we see in this. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch, it says, over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. To them, the light that God spoke the world into existence in, the light that they would ultimately see as well, coming, illuminating from heaven itself, would now be blinding them in the presence of one who stood before God. This would have been extraordinary. And in this extraordinary presentation, it says they were greatly afraid. And the angel in verse 10 said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. In this flash moment, they are now being appointed to be messengers of the gospel. God's visitation, Emmanuel, God with us. These guys are going to be the ones appointed to publish the first good news message that God was true in what he said all those years ago and what he ultimately would satisfy for Israel and the world from this point forward. Isn't that a wonderful hope that the Lord would allow even the outcasts, those who had no future and hope, scorned in reputation, and even perhaps even among themselves said, man, we are a bunch of stinky guys that are just traveling. We're barely scraping by. We're being taken advantage of. We are to be doing something that has the merit of excellence and sorting sheep out, making sure that they make it to market, being even those who may have the lamb that is to be offered from the temple. But this is where we're at. This is how we've been treated. Nevertheless, men, let's do the best we can for as long as we're able. And it's these men who hear this message. Notice what they say. It has similarity to what even Mary would have said. Born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, verse 11, verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The cloths were similar to what 
the scriptures have identified in Jewish history as grave cloths, strips of cloth torn and would be wrapped around the appendages and diaphragm and abdominals to keep the Lord warm. And so as this story continues, and suddenly in verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. They're not arguing. They don't have it wrong. The Lord has made known to us. Through whom? A messenger, an angelic being. In the presence of God's glory, this messenger comes, and this field where they're at is lit up. And the brilliance of God's glory and in the message that even opens their eyes. They're not arguing among themselves. They're not flipping dice as to who gets to go or who has to go. They're saying, this is our mission. This is what we're going to do. And notice this, and I love this as well. They get the word of the Lord and they get the song of God. That's why when we are engaged in worship within the church or when you in your home are on your way to work and you're engaging the Lord in what you have come from, which is a time of devotion in the morning, prayer, many of you do, many of you read, and then a song flips on and the Lord touches your heart, the compatibility of the music that's in your ear by the message that's already in your heart, and you're going, wow. Have you ever turned on the radio and found a Christian song that is playing and within that melody, within the poetic versing of lyrics, you're hearing the Lord's voice encourage you in a time perhaps of personal darkness and doubt or where you just need to have one chorus, one title hit you motivationally and what you've always believed in but what is becoming more vague, less effectual, and the Lord just inspires you. That's what the Lord's doing. You heard the word, now hear the song. And by the way, learn it and sing it and teach it. That's why when we come and we listen to the music, I'm always just blessed. The act of worship, the songs that speak of the eternal, the work of God, for our sake. And so they're committed now to head to Bethlehem because that is the word that has been given to them. And in verse 9, they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. In verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They're not scratching their chin going, this has got to be wrong. I mean, did you... Did you hear the word baby? I thought it was like, you know, a king, a, a regal outfit that he'd be wearing. They just go accept the terms of God, 
the language of the Lord. They enter in. They make an observation. They didn't question what we see in this account. Mary and Joseph, they just do. All that they were meant to do was to observe and see the reality of Emmanuel, the means by which God made his visitation through this baby, whom we know is Jesus. They marveled. They were going to publish this report, marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Who's now getting encouragement? Mary and Joseph are. They might have been thinking, man, what did we sign up for? And Joseph may have entered into one of his first frustrations in the language of love as a married couple. Mary, I, I don't know what to say. This is where we're at. This is the best that could happen to us. We don't know that there was any argument. But the shepherds came to deliver a confirming word that encouraged this couple on what would be now their walk of faith. And I think that's so cool how God uses these things. The word, the song, and the ministers that confirm what they heard as well that sends us really out once again with great hope and conviction. And so Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart and then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. A life that at one time may have been to them insulting, condescending, without honor and respect, they've gained in the spirit by what was their privilege to hear the word of the Lord and a visitation by an angelic being and to be able to personally connect with Mary and Joseph and to be able to watch in their vocation from this time forward the manifestation of the maturity of Jesus. Do you realize that very likely these shepherds would have then heard an account of a young boy tutoring the Pharisees in the temple, the teachers of the law, answering their questions when they should have been able to answer any question, marveling at Jesus at 12, the ministry of the Lord who in 30, these guys may have been at that time senior citizen shepherds, but they may have been very likely some of the first undisclosed disciples. We saw him when he was in diapers. Hallelujah. They passed the oatmeal. <laughs> because the Lord has an account that in your life presently, you're just whippersnappers. He's written a story concerning the life that you're living and the things that you've seen and what you know. And even though this account is familiar, it refreshes us to say, I've got breath. I've got eyes that see, ears that hear. I've got a heart that's beating for God. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. But when it's my time, I will be able to say with satisfaction, I've done that which has been appointed for me by God. I obeyed.
I corrected course when it was necessary. And I did not confuse the message from that which God had given to me to hear. Psalm 46, which I think is a really classic passage for us to visit, to ask maybe yourself, do you hear what I hear? And so in 46, in verse 10, I would say to you, yes, you hear what I hear. Yes, you have heard what God has spoken. Yes, because of that, you are positioned now to do continued great things. It says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How so? Because you're choosing to be still. You're choosing to remove yourself from perhaps the global chaos, all of the op-eds, the carnal mindset that looks towards everything else but to God, and you still yourself, you come in to be a part of a deeply spiritual work which retools your heart, reinvigorates your soul. I really find that for me, my tune-up every week is what happens not simply on my morning times, but my times in which I'm meeting with the congregants in the house of God. It's my tune-up. When I'm meeting with my brethren at breakfast, it's my tune-up. These shepherds were away from the cloistering of the city. They were doing a job that nobody else would want to do, but they were doing it because they could do it. And as a result, they were privileged to see what no one else would be able to see for that moment would be passing in which that baby would be lifted up to the bosom of his mother and ultimately they would then be setting a course of a pilgrimage that would take them to a land far away for a persecution that would be indeed intended for Jesus himself and we will see in the scriptures that he protects his father the work of God and ultimately the life of our Lord. So we're going to close there. But I think I may have just one other passage. Let me let me find this for you. In 1 Corinthians 127, I will close on this one. I think it's very encouraging for us. For any of us that doubt can we be used? And why would God choose to use us? 1 Corinthians 1, 27. Can God use you like he did a shepherd? Or two or three? Can he use you like he did the disciples? That no one would have said should be qualified to do anything based on what we do know of their behavior. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things 
which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, and that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Thank you for glorying in the Lord as the glory of the Lord has shown upon you in your love for him. We're going to go ahead and welcome the worship band up here. And as we do, we're going to minister in the rendering of the tithe and offerings. And so a basket may be coming around. And we do that because it's an act of worship. And it's something that I both believe profoundly in what it means to us to render what God has given so generously to us. <laughs> 